What's going on, everyone? My name is Preston Stewart, and this is the Full Send Podcast. It's October 8th, 2020, which means we are right between Phase 1 and Phase 2 of the 2020 CrossFit Games. Now, um, just as a reminder, Phase 1 was an online competition. 30 male and 30 female athletes competed online in their home gyms, and we whittled that field from 30 down to 5 each, and they'll go out to Aromas, California, on October 19th through 25th, compete in person for the title of Fittest on Earth and CrossFit Games champion. We don't have a ton of information around what that week looks like um, at the ranch, but as we start to see more, whether it's programming or, or scheduling or, or really anything, we'll certainly jump on, put an episode together to, uh, to share what information we have. In the meantime, I thought it would be worthwhile to dive into a topic that's been on my mind for a while. And it's something that I think a lot of anybody who's interested in the sport of CrossFit, I think this is a conversation that would benefit them if we continue to keep it top of mind. And that is the idea of further professionalizing the sport of CrossFit. So that's kind of a weird way of saying that, but I want to entrench CrossFit as a professional sport. And I have a couple of thoughts about what that means as well as how we can get there. Now, the reason I say further entrenched is because I, 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 you know, we have a professional sport today. There are people who exclusively make a living through competition CrossFit, and that's something we're going to come back to here. But you know, if you think of sport, professional sports on this, you know, this scale, you've got, you know, one extreme end of that scale is going to be, you know, the NFL, the NBA, MLB, and and by entrenched, it's the thought of. Like, what would it take for the NFL to not exist in two years? I have no idea, right? Like, that sport is here to stay for the foreseeable future. And, you know, there's a couple others, of course, you can throw in there. The far other end of the spectrum is the stuff that would be on, like, ESPN2 um, replays at 2 in the morning on a Tuesday night or a Tuesday morning. Whatever, like, you know, the, the random extreme one-off sports that were popular and then gone, like, that had no staying power at all. So that's kind of how I view this, you know, imaginary scale of sticking power and, and, you know, how entrenched a sport is in in terms of being professional. And I want to see CrossFit heading in the direction, at least of the major ones, NFL, NBA, MLB. I, I know that, you know, it's a different community. It's a different audience. It's, it's, Maybe we'll never, you know, unlikely to ever reach those scales, of course, but we can at least head in that direction. And I think that's important. And heading in that direction, I think we have to focus the conversation on the one thing that, that it all kind of comes back to, which is, which is money. There has to be the money to, to drive the interest, to drive the ads, to drive all of this. And the reason where I'm going to focus here. You know, it's, it's, I want to risk diving in too deep and, and, you know, a thousand different ideas and directions. And I think there's some simple things we can look at that are attainable in the short term that will help in the long term. So one of the ways I'm going to do that is simply looking at that money and saying to, to me, further professionalizing the sport means how many athletes can sustain their income exclusively through competition CrossFit. So when I say their income through competition CrossFit, I don't mean 
sponsorships or ads or, or anything like that. And the reason for that is, well, it's twofold. One, competition prize purses, it, it's clean. I can see pretty clearly, loosely. Morning Chalk Up did a really good job of kind of, I think it was last two years, showing what the individual athletes earned in terms of prize money. It's it's clean. You can see what's out there. The, the brand deals, the sponsorships, those are all over the place. They are not publicly available and they vary. I mean, some of them might pay the athletes. Some might um, pay based off of certain performance. Others might only provide product or gear or, or, or maybe pay for travel. So it's it's all over the place. I don't I don't want to include that in this base number that I'm going to throw out here in a minute. But the other reason I want to exclude sponsorships is because I almost view it like a cherry on top. So sponsors and companies are chasing down athletes that are winning, right? Like if you have a product you want to advertise, you're not going to look to who finished 274th in the open last year. You're going to look at who won the CrossFit games. Matt Fraser is getting a lot more requests and, and being pitched a lot more for products and for advertisements than the 74th place finisher of the games. But Fraser also won a bigger purse than the 74th place finisher of the game. So I think if we focus exclusively on what we can see in terms of prize purses and, and winnings during competitions, I think that will get us to this desired point um, of maybe further entrenching the sport as professional. So the number I'm going to throw out there that is incredibly unscientific is $50,000 a year. I said if if an athlete could earn $50,000 a year exclusively through CrossFit, that should be enough to where they could say, this is my sole profession. This is what I do. I don't have a job that I have to work three days a week. I don't have to do something in the off season. I don't have to, how about this? I don't have to take sponsorship deals or product deals that I don't want to take. Um, I think $50,000 is the point where the athlete can lead a, 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 you have, have a, have a reasonable standard of living, be able to compete in the sport they love and be able to focus. This is important. Be able to focus on their profession. Think about this with any other sport. And this is where you can kind of see the difference between, you know, the, the, maybe the staying power within a sport. What if NBA players had to have jobs in the off season? What if Tom Brady spent three months a year in some other nine to five job? Would we see the Tom Brady that we have on the field today? Probably not. And, and as a fan of the sport of CrossFit, I want to see the best out there on the field. I mean, there's, there's, there is something, you know, approachable maybe, or, or familiar with seeing these athletes and then hearing, Oh, he, by the way, is a coach or a student or runs a business. And, and that's, that's cool in a different way. I like that. Um, but I don't know that long-term that is something that we want to see in the sport, you know, or how about this? I wish the athletes had the opportunity to do that, not the necessity, if that makes sense. So if somebody was earning a sizable income from the sport of CrossFit, would they still run that business on the side? Would they still, you know, X, Y, Z, um, have a job, whatever it might be. 
And, and if they want to do that, that's cool. That's fine. You know, a sport like CrossFit that has realistically very little actual competition time, it's great. If somebody wants to fill their time running another business or, or, or working other jobs, good on them. What I'm talking about is let's see if we can't get to the point where they have the opportunity, the reasonable opportunity to earn a living exclusively through competition. Now, one place that I go to a lot here when I'm thinking about this model and how we can get there is professional golf. And there's a lot of reasons that, that I kind of go back and forth here. There's the comparison of, you know, the, the argument that's gone on for a while or debate. I shouldn't say argument. That's not fair, but is the focus in CrossFit on the methodology or on the sport and which is more important and which drives the other. And, and there's a, a, comparable side of that in golf where there is an initiative and there has been for some time about growing the game, getting more people on the course, introducing the sport to maybe people who haven't played it before. But that's also, but but you also then are trying to get viewership up for the masters and more people to watch the FedEx cup and to sell more tickets to the U S open. And they're, they're both helping each other. Sure. I guess I, I don't think they're hurting each other, but it kind of sounds, that's one of the things that sounds familiar to me between golf and CrossFit. A couple other things that are worth bringing up, the, the individual nature of the sport. Um, in both sports, if you don't perform, you don't get paid. Again, not talking sponsorships, not talking ad deals and things like that, simply in terms of prize purses. If you're not competing, you're not winning. And I'll hark on this one more time. The reason I want to focus on that and kind of ignore the sponsorships is if somebody is, you know, athletes in every sport have to think long-term and long-term, everybody knows they're not going to be at the top of the leaderboard for the rest of their lives. So athletes are constantly finding ways to diversify as they should. But again, very few, you know, 17th place finishers of the games are going to or whoever finished 17th or 22nd or, or 19th or whatever, how many brands are calling them trying to sign them up for reasonable, you know, any, any sort of reasonably sized deal. And they also didn't get that prize purse. So I, I do think, you know, there's a place for that, of course, but, but, but dialing in on if you're not competing and you're not performing, you're not bringing home a paycheck. So another similarity, the athletes between the two sports are able to kind of identify their schedule. And especially with the sanctional format right now in CrossFit, athletes can decide, you know, hey, if I only want to compete in the CrossFit games and I've earned a spot, that's all I have to do. And maybe they want to, right? You see this in golf as well, where people will play very, very few tournaments. They'll focus on the majors. There's a tour championship that's kind of a unique thing that stood up in the last few years. And then four major tournaments that have the biggest prize purse. And you, in, in one way or another, kind of have to qualify for each of those majors as well as the tour championship. But doesn't that kind of sound like the CrossFit Games and then some major sanctionals like Wadapalooza or, or, or Rogue? Or, I mean, it's – I can kind of see the, the well, I'm going to compete here and not there and then being drawn to certain areas because of prize purses or location or getting ready for another event. So there's a lot here between the two that I think it kind of helps to look at. Um, let's see, another one that I wanted to hit on before we dive into, um, you know, what can we do is the idea that prize purses vary from event to event. Every event on the PGA Tour is different. 
and it's it's it works. So the tour championship every year, you know, think CrossFit Games, kind of it. Um, although that's that's probably not the best comparison, but in terms of prize purse, we'll call we'll call it that. It's a fifteen million dollar prize purse. Then you have four majors with an eleven million dollar prize purse on or about, and then forty other events between three and ten million. So if you wanted to, now not everybody can make it to the tour championship. Not everybody can make it to the four majors. By comparison, not everybody can make it to the CrossFit game. Not everybody can qualify for Wadapalooza. But if you wanted to, you could make an entire career playing in those 40 events that had a prize purse between three and 10 million. Now, if we look at the PGA Tour in 2019, there were 232 athletes that earned at least $50,000 and were able to focus at that point, likely exclusively on their profession. I'm not saying that 232 are rolling in it and 50,000 still might be a struggle, especially the needs of a lot of these athletes when it comes to um, you know, access to physicians, access to training facilities, coaches, on and on and on. That might be on the brink, right? Um, and of course, golf, as it sits today, the PGA Tour in 2020 is in a totally different place than CrossFit in 2020. But there's 232 that meet that criteria. You know how many of those names? even golf fanatics have never heard of, but people can make it their career. They can make it their profession for the long haul because there's enough opportunity out there to earn a a reasonable wage. Now, CrossFit's not going to get to 232 anytime soon, making 50,000 or more from competition. But in 2019, only seven men and seven women hit that mark. Would you have thought that across all of CrossFit? Again, just looking at competition payouts, would you have thought that seven men and seven women, that's it? I don't know. That seems low. I thought it'd be a lot higher than that. Maybe not a lot higher. I probably thought double. I thought we'd see closer to 15. But that gets to what I think is a reasonable goal in the next, let's say, two years. What if we can get 30 CrossFitters, 30, 30 men, 30 women, to the point of earning $50,000 a year exclusively through competitions. Here's why I think that's important. If somebody is able to focus all of their time and energy on the sport, we're going to see a better product. As in the athlete might be able to tap into some potential that they otherwise couldn't because they had to spend, you know, three hours a day doing something else that they could have been focused on recovery or, or, or getting another work. I mean, there's any number of things that, that might be holding the athlete back. What if we can tap into some additional potential there? It makes the product better. It makes more people interested in watching more people want to watch better product, right? How about attending events? And you can kind of see this rolling where, Hey, if, if what we're seeing on stage gets better and better every year, you know, we're watching, it's already crazy, right? If you watch any of the games really at all, year after year, the feats of fitness that's on display is insane. And it continues year after year to get crazier and crazier what these athletes are able to accomplish. What if we could jack that up even more by allowing at least 30 men and women to focus exclusively on their craft? So, Rather than just call out all these, you know, wonderful places we could go and, and, and why I think that's important, how about how we can get there? 
So I've got a couple ideas. And, and again, I'm looking at this more as conversation one. There's going to be a lot more, of course. And in the first part of this, I'm going to uh, talk about things that I don't have any direct control over. I'm going to talk about um, what sanctionals could do, I think, to help help move this sport in the right direction. But that said, if you run a sanctional, don't you want to see the sport entrenched and dug in for 10 years? Don't you want to next year have have to deal with selling out? If you're a sanctional, don't you want to have to look at your venue and say, we had 10,000 last year, but, but we sold out in one day. Are we going to have to double in size? Are we going to have to go somewhere else? Those are problems that I, I, I believe the people running sanctionals want to have. And if we can continue to grow the sport, of course, that's where we're going. So some thoughts. I'd like to see the last place finisher in sanctionals receive some sort of payout. And the number I'm, I'm throwing up here on the board is, is $1,000. $1, the reason for that is another comparison with golf is these athletes, they have to pay to get there. It's, I imagine this is something that, that a lot of people don't think about, but when you're watching people compete at, at Wadapalooza or at Rogue, they drove there in their own car. They might have had to buy plane tickets. They are paying for their own lodging, maybe an Airbnb. They're paying for their own food. These aren't, you know, this isn't an NFL team that travels with a team and then has their food catered and, and stays in the, the team hotel. This is all out of pocket. And if it's a three-day event and you're traveling any sort of, you know, call it even just 300 miles, I mean, you're looking at a $1,000 event, right? So if the bulk of CrossFit athletes make less than $50,000 a year, and it's going to cost them $1,000 to even go compete in some event, are there people that won't attend because they, it, it's a risk they can't take? Maybe. But let's turn that the other way around. What if we offered at least we, what, what, if, what if sanctionals offered, um, you know, a base payment to, let's say everybody who finished every event, or, or, or maybe it's, at least 70% of the events or some, something out there um, that protects them from somebody um, signing up and just not being able to compete, of course. We don't want that. But what if it was $1,000 to the last place finisher that actually competed in the events? How many athletes then are looking at those sanctionals and saying, well, my downside is covered. The upside is how well I can do and maybe I can win an event. Maybe I can win the sanctional. Who knows? Um, but at the very least their downside is covered and they know that they will, you know, let's say it's a thousand dollars or less to, to get out there and travel and lodge and all that. They, they can at least break even. So I'll, you know, I understand that the money has to come from somewhere. We're not just, again, everything here is focused on money. And if there was, um, an unlimited amount, this might not be, might not be an issue. We're trying to, to move forward per se. So where does the money come from? Well, I'm going to pick on Rogue because they did an awesome event in 2019, but uh, but also because they laid out their prize purses really clearly, and it was a little harder to find looking across some other events. So Rogue paid out in 2019. This was the in-person competition. They paid out 50000 40000 30000 20000 and 15000 through to uh, first through fifth place. Men's, women's, um, well, I'll just do men's and women's. I'm not sure what the team payout was there, but anyways... 
They did pay $1,000 all the way down to 10th place, but that was out of 17 contenders. So you had people outside of that top 10, a couple names that'll be familiar, Ben Smith, Colton Mertens, that put on an awesome show. I don't know if any of you watched that, but like it's worth going back and looking. Those guys were were right there the whole weekend, and and they were both both of these guys were competing for a slot at the games, um, and people came at you know people came to watch them. They they left with well, I guess I don't know if it was zero or less than a thousand, but what what I'm getting at is it's there's a lot of folks that don't meet the threshold in every single event of taking something home or at least trying to cover their travel. If that was eliminated, that risk was eliminated, would we see more people interested in competing? I think so. I think so. If we remove the potential loss, I think you get more people tuning in. Now here's the next part. If you have more people interested in competing in these sanctions because their 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 downside is limited, the field, the quality of the field might improve. Now, if you're offering payouts all the way down, then I think the qualifier becomes a little, you know, not not to say that others aren't strict as is, but pretty strict in the qualifier and who comes in. But I mean, if if again, if the downside is covered, you might end up with, I mean, what happens if you get five out of the top 10 games finishers from last year? What if your field of 30 in a sanctional is all out of the top 50 from the open? I mean, that's solid. And I don't think that's crazy if we can see kind of, maybe a little more leveling or socializing the payout. Maybe that's the way to say it. Socialize the payouts a little bit, right? Um, but I do think that's one way to help, one way right now, an initial thought, a way to kind of further entrench the sport. If we can get, you know, 30 athletes, 30 male and 30 female athletes making a living as opposed, a reasonable living as opposed to three or five doing very, very well, Right. So I'll wrap it up with um, what we can do as average fans and, and folks interested in the sport of CrossFit. I think it's actually kind of a cool spot to be in because the sport is new enough that what you do right now, you're actually going to be able to look back and, and remember kind of how this moved forward, you know, knock on wood. But the thing we can do, you can do, I can do, is watch events, tune in. So, I was going to say so many, but <laughs> how about this? Some of these are free, free live streams. And and I got it. It's not perfect. And it's a two-way street. We, we really need some means to show an interest, right? So um, the Rogue, I'll use Rogue again. Actually, I think, uh, how about the Mayhem Classic last year? They did a really good job with their live stream. And it was a quality product and they put it out and they're able to look at that and say, you know, 50,000 people watched or 2000 people watched or whatever. They can put numbers to it. It was a quality enough product that people tuned in. I remember watching and I thought it was really, really impressive for, for the size venue and the size of event they put on. Conversely, and this is where it's a little bit of a two-way street. Um, Wadapalooza's coverage, the, the, the streaming coverage was poor. And that was one that was, there was a paywall required. And I remember watching some of it and just thinking that I'm not paying a dollar for that. I mean, it was, you couldn't see anything with it at all. So I, and a lot of other people, I'm sure didn't watch that because the coverage was bad, right? Like I'm not just going to watch, you know, if there's one camera all the way back at, 
you know, at the, the top of the field and you can hardly see the athletes. I'm not going to watch that for an hour or two, but, but something like, um, like rogue or like mayhem did. It's interesting when you can actually consume the content and you want to watch the more people to watch when you watch, when I watch, when others watch, it gives them the statistics, the sanctionals or, or, or whoever's running it or, or CrossFit to show how many people are interested. And the more and more people that are interested, the more and more eyeballs, the more and more attention will help to drive more marketing dollars, not marketing dollars, ad dollars. It will get more and more brands interested. You know, if 50 million people tuned in to watch the CrossFit Games, the CrossFit Games update show two weeks ago, 50 million, this wouldn't be a conversation because there'd be brands knocking down the doors to try to help to, to provide ad money that would offset what could be a great streaming experience. And then, you know, one, two, three, four, and all of a sudden there's bigger prize purses for the athletes and the entire sport is growing. So attention, eyeballs, viewing, if you get a chance, check them out. Um, I know there's a lot of barriers there. Um, there's been events that I haven't watched because it is broadcast in another language. That's a challenge. Um, but, but if you get a chance, even after the fact, pull it up, take a look, watch it. The more attention that we can give the various sanctionals um, or whatever they come up with for 2021, that's doing your part and it's free. I'm not saying go pay for a bunch of products uh, to show that people are willing to pay for the product. Um, I haven't done that yet. I don't think, I think there's one I was considering, but no, I don't think I've paid for um, to be able to view any of these yet. So that's not the call to action. The call to action is just, just watch the streams, let people know that you're interested in it um, and go back and watch them after they're done. And, and again, it, it shows an interest in the sport that I think will help long-term. So wrapping up, um, We've got a ways to go here to really entrench the sport as a professional um, pursuit. It's it's there, and I think we're heading in the right direction, especially with the new CEO. It seems like, from what I've read, that he's interested in this direction of, of growing the actual sport of CrossFit rather than it just being kind of a side thing. So that's great, um, but we'll see. Um, hopefully, hopefully that's the direction we're headed, but either way, the best news that we have here is that in 11 days, the second phase of the 2020 CrossFit games kicks off. Can't wait to see those five men and five women get after it in California. So until next time, thanks for listening. Hey, this is Preston Stewart. Thanks for listening. And if you get a chance, it'd mean a lot if you could make it over to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review helps others to find the show. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.